The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this morning comes from Jeremiah 29, 4 through 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we are, are so grateful once again to get to be together in one another's presence, but also in your presence. When we we cling to your promise from your word, which you have given us that where two or more are gathered, there you are among us. So we trust that you're here, not just as an idea, not just as a, a truth, but as a reality. God, that you are, in the words of St. Augustine, closer to us than we are to ourselves. Do you know all the confusion going on in our minds, all the anxieties welling up in our hearts, all the pain, all the suffering, all the sorrow, all the joy, all the hopes, all the dreams? Lord, so I pray that you would quiet us before you and you would speak like you have for thousands of years like you did 2,600 years ago to the Israelites in Babylon, that you'd speak. We love you. We need you. Pray like things in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. It's good to be with you. If we haven't met before, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. We are wrapping up a series that we've been in since the start of 2023, walking together through our vision of being a Jesus-centered family on mission with him. This is what we're going for, what we're striving after as a church family. This is not an idea we think that's original to us. This is just our best attempt to summarize what we see the early church doing in Acts chapter 2, as they learn to follow Jesus, as they kind of revolve their lives around Christ and each other. In these final two weeks, we have kind of been honing in on those last four words of our vision statement, on mission with him, which we said you can summarize what that means in one kind of two-part statement, that we as a church want to live as ordinary, everyday missionaries for the good of Charlotte. 
ordinary everyday missionaries for the good of Charlotte. So last week we talked about what it means to be ordinary everyday missionaries, that wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, you are not there by chance or just because you decided to take yourself there, but rather God has sent you into the spaces you inhabit, your workplace, your home, your gym, your coffee shop, your neighborhood, whatever that may be, as a missionary to bring the gospel to bear in that place. Well, this week, I want to look at the second part of this vision statement, for the good of Charlotte. What does it mean to be a church for the good of our city? What does it mean to have a posture that is eager to see Charlotte be a place of flourishing, not just for some, but for all? So if you don't have a Bible already, go ahead and get, grab one and go to Jeremiah 29. Not a lot of scripture on the screen today, so I encourage you to grab one. There should be some spread out among the rows. Take your phone out because it is 2023, whatever you want to do. Jeremiah 29, we are going to dive right into the middle of a story that has a lot of background to it. So let me just kind of give you a little bit of the context. So leading up to Jeremiah 29, here's what has happened. God's people, the Israelites, for a couple of different reasons, have been taken out of their homeland by God and exiled in slavery under a king named Nebuchadnezzar in the foreign nation of Babylon. And it's not a great place for them to be. They're longing, hoping, dreaming, wishing to return to their home. And in the previous three chapters leading up to Jeremiah 29, some false prophets have arisen claiming wrongfully to speak for God. And they've been telling the people, hey, I know that you don't want to be here. I know you want to go home. Don't worry. In two years, God is going to take you back to your homeland. And so just hunker down, survive, do what you need to do. But in two years, don't worry. He's going to take you home. But God steps into that situation with a word through his prophet Jeremiah and tells them something completely different. He has a different command for these people and, as we'll see today, for us, for how they are to live in a place that they have now found themselves. So Jeremiah 29, I want to walk through these uh, 11 or so verses together. I'm just going to pull some things out from the story, from Jeremiah's prophecy, and then we'll spend the rest of our time just considering what does this have to do with us and how do we apply this into our lives? So Jeremiah 29, 1 through 3 are just the context that I just set up for us. And so we'll dive in with Jeremiah's prophecy, verse 4. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So that's a really key phrase. God says, I have sent you into this place that is not your home. If you remember last week, one of the key things we said, a part of being on mission with God is that you are not anywhere you are by accident. And that includes the people of God, Israel, here in a foreign nation, in exile, under the oppression of this foreign nation. God is saying, I've put you here. And he's going to tell them why. Verse 5. So here's what you do. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So God tells his people through Jeremiah, contrary to what other false prophets might be saying, you're actually going to be here a while. This is going to take some time. So build some houses, have some kids, let your kids have some kids, and just kind of lay down some roots. Start planting yourself in this place. Start making a home in the place that is not your home. But don't just focus on establishing yourself. Notice what he says next, verse 7. 
but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So God says, okay, listen, Israelites, I have put you into this foreign nation. You are there as a part of my divine plan and will. So put down some roots, settle in, but don't just focus on establishing yourself. The key of the passage, seek the welfare of the city. Now that word welfare here is the Hebrew word shalom. You could translate verse seven as seek the shalom of the city for in its shalom, you will find your shalom. We've talked about this idea of shalom as a church before, but I think it's worth revisiting because if you don't understand the gravity of this word choice, then you're going to miss the whole weight of the passage. So shalom, or as it's often translated peace or here welfare, is a term you could summarize with this definition. Shalom is God's design for universal flourishing or wholeness. Shalom is God's design for universal flourishing or wholeness. As Hebrew scholars have long understood it, to be living in shalom means that everything is right. Everything is as it should be, specifically in what theologians consider our four primary relationships, that we flourish with God, that we flourish with one another, that we flourish with creation, and that we flourish with ourselves. And as you trace the pattern of scripture, you'll start to see that shalom is one of, if not the main idea that God is going after for his people. So shalom was God's original design all the way back in the garden, right? Adam and Eve, before sin entered the world, lived in shalom, in a flourishing relationship with God and with each other and with their own selves and with creation. Shalom is what is broken in Genesis chapter 3 when they sin, right? Immediately after sinning, they hide from God. That relationship is broken. They blame each other. That relationship is broken. They cover themselves up because of their shame. That relationship is broken. And all of creation starts to break down and decay. But shalom is also what God is returning the world to. In that famous prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9 that we read at Christmas time, it tells us Christ will come and be the prince of shalom. And that of his shalom, there will be no end. This is such a big deal to the Old Testament people of God that one of the ancient kind of benedictions that Jewish priests would send out people from temple worship with, that's now famous because of a 2020 worship song, says this, may Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh let his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh lift up his face to you and bring you shalom. Flourishing. This is God's design for his people, that we would live and seek shalom, everything as it should be as the kingdom of God rules and reigns over all, wholeness and rightness between us and God, us and each other, us and ourselves, and us and creation. And that is what God is telling his people in a foreign land now to seek for these foreign people. Seek their shalom. Hey, this promise, this thing that I've been leading you back towards through the past few centuries, that is now what I want you to seek and pray for in this strange land where you found yourself. Keep going, verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. And so what he's saying is, hey, these people that are saying two years, they're wrong. Like, that's not my idea. That's not what we're going for. That is not reality. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, then I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. 
So God tells his people, it's not going to be two years, it's actually going to be 70. 70 more years you're going to be in this foreign land seeking its welfare. And then everyone's favorite verse, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. This is everyone's third favorite Bible verse, right? It's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's number one, obviously. Number two is don't judge lest you be judged. That one's great. And then number three is, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Now, just an encouragement to me in light of the context of, Jesus, of God saying 70 more years until this takes place, is the next time you're walking through a hard season, this is free from me, and someone's like, hey, don't worry about it. God knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. You look at them and with all the sarcasm that you can muster say, yes, amen. I can't wait for his promises in 70 years. But in reality, notice what actually God is inviting the people into. Oftentimes what happens is when someone's going through a hard situation and with good in our heart, we want to encourage them. We want to help them. We want to draw them into, hey, God does have a plan for you. He's working something out in this, which is true based on other promises of scripture. Oftentimes we use that promise to say, don't worry, God's going to get you out of the hard situation. And God actually uses verse 11 to say, no, my plan is not to get you out of the hard situation, but rather that you would press into the hard situation that that is where shalom would come, that you would actually seek shalom in the midst of this foreign land you would rather not be in. Not I'm going to take you out, but rather I'm going to work through you in the midst of it. Let's finish out verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So God promises, one day I'm going to take you home. This is not the end of your story. This is where I have you right now. Seek the welfare of where I have you right now, but one day I'm going to come and I'm going to restore you to your future home. That's what awaits the people of God. All right, let's, let's stop there. What does this story about an ancient people living as exiles in a foreign land 2,600 years ago have to do with us today? Well, on the one hand, I think it speaks directly to those of us in the room who have, quote, found ourselves in Charlotte, a place that may or may not, for many of us, feel like home. In fact, for most of us in the room, Charlotte is not our original home. We are not from here. A few of us are, but most of us are not. And that's not unique to our church. Charlotte is a transient city. One stat that I've seen before says that over the past five years, over or around 100 people move to our metro area every single day. So maybe you've heard the joke, if you meet someone who's native to Charlotte, it's like meeting a unicorn, right? Because they just don't exist, right? There's like two of them, Right? And while almost certainly none of us came to Charlotte as exiles under the oppression of a foreign king, I am sure that some of us would rather be somewhere besides here. Some of us have another place like Israel that we consider home, and that's not the Queen City. And so I think there's a word for us here of how we are to live if we find ourselves there in a physical sense, but there's also something for us here in an even deeper spiritual sense. So take a look with me at Philippians 3, verse 20. It's the passage where we get the name of our church. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here Paul in his letter to the church at Philippi says, our citizenship is in heaven. 
Meaning if you are a follower of Jesus, one of the things the Bible makes clear is that this place called earth is not your forever home. When you put your faith in Jesus, you have the guarantee of a new home, of eternity with God, which means if this is not your home, but rather the presence of God is your eternal home, then what are all of us who follow Jesus, spiritually speaking? Exiles. People who live in a foreign land. People who live in a land that is not our home, awaiting the return of our Savior, who will then take us to our forever home. And so, just like the Israelites in Babylon, we too live in exile in a foreign land. And just like the Israelites in Babylon, we too have been sent here by God. And just like the Israelites who God promises to bring to their home, we too await our forever home with him, which means the call is the same. 2,600 years later, across the ocean in a vastly different culture and time, God would say to us, seek the shalom of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its shalom, you will find your shalom. Or if I can put it even more clearly and directly, Citizens Church, work and pray for the flourishing of Charlotte, for God has put you here. Whether you wanted to be here or not, whether you currently want to be here or not, God has put you here. For if it flourishes, you will flourish. If it flourishes with God, then you too will find flourishing with God. It flourishes in our relationship to others in the city. We too will flourish in relationship to others in the city and so on and so forth. And so when we say we're a church on mission with Jesus, that's a huge part of what we mean, that we are unashamedly about Charlotte being what God calls it to be. Another way you could say this that we'll explore in a few weeks in our prayer series is that we want to see Charlotte look like heaven. We want to see Charlotte reflect all of the things God wants it to reflect because God has put us here, a city full of commerce and a city full of hustle and industry and boom, but also a city full of brokenness and inequality and idolatry and grief and pain and things that do not look like God's design. And he says to us, you're here because I have you here, so work for its shalom. So if that's God's challenge to us, I think it's worth considering how we as a church might fail to do that. What are some ways we might wrongly approach our city or posture ourselves towards our city instead of seeking its welfare? And in my experience, pastorally, I think churches or individuals can take uh, one of a few wrong approaches when it comes to the city they find themselves in. I just want to explore these quick together. The first wrong posture we can have towards our city is that we can hate the city. We can hate the city. Another way to think about this is being against the city. This can happen on a church-wide level or an individual level. So I think we have a pretty good idea of what this might look like on a church-wide level, right? It's churches that their sermons are like 25% Bible, 75% how much the city is terrible, right? They kind of set themselves up as this is good, what's in here is good, what's inside these four walls is good, and everything out there is evil and run by Satan trying to attack in here what's good. So we're just kind of going to posture ourselves as city bad, church good, everything out there. We just kind of have to stay away from as much as possible. We'll enter it into occasionally to do some service acts that make us feel good about ourselves. And then we'll retreat back into our Christian bubble so that enough of the evil doesn't kind of get on us. But this can also show up on an individual level as well, right? Just constantly complaining or bemoaning about the fact that you live here. Charlotte's the worst, right? Traffic is awful. Housing is unaffordable. Tons of crime. Somebody ran over the sign in our neighborhood two nights ago. That's weird. <laughs> People are rude. It's a bunch of northerners that transplanted down here. Ugh, gross. I wish it was in Greenville. I wish I lived in Charlotte. Not Charlotte, Raleigh. 
wish I lived in Atlanta, Columbia, I don't know, Florida. They seem fine, I guess. Listen, you can start to hate the city on an individual level as well and just sort of posture yourself as, man, isn't this place the worst? I just can't wait until I can leave. Like, can I go anywhere else? You just find yourself daydreaming about what life would be like if you lived anywhere else besides this city. So what happens is, if that's our posture, instead of bringing shalom to where God has put us, working and praying for its flourishing, we decide this place is too broken or just isn't cutting it, and we'd rather go find shalom somewhere else. That's the first posture. The second posture is that we can conform to the city. We can conform to the city. Our lives start to look exactly like everyone else around us who does not follow Jesus in Charlotte. It was the late Dallas Willard who talked about uh, how every culture, every city you live in has aspects of it that will help your discipleship to Jesus and aspects of it that will hurt your discipleship to Jesus. And that's true of Charlotte. There are ways this city, even your specific area you live in, in the city, will train you against the ways of Jesus, if you let it, where you will start valuing and chasing and revolving your life almost subconsciously around all of the things Charlotte values and chases and revolves itself around. Comfort, success, financial prosperity, wealth, image management, what I would argue are some of the core idols or false gods of our city. We just start embracing hook, line, and sinker. So instead of Charlotte being an enemy to avoid, it becomes a friend to just embrace in all of its ways, and just to kind of fold our lives into what everyone else around us has established as the cultural norm. But what happens is, when that becomes our posture, when we conform to the city, we stop working for Charlotte's Godward shalom, and instead think Charlotte has some secret shalom that we need to get in on ourselves. See the difference there? That's number two. Number three is we can use the city. We can use the city. This is honestly the one that I see the most in my own heart and in my own life and in those that I interact with in my neighborhood. Charlotte becomes a stepping stone in our ladder of life. We're here just for a couple of years to get an experience or to move up in our career or to get a good comfortable home for our family or to go to the best schools or just sort of take in the best the city has to offer before we move on to somewhere else. In other words, to use the city means to take the posture that Charlotte exists to serve me, my comfort, my fun, my wealth building, my advancement, that's the posture of using the city. A really uh, kind of sneaky way to see if this is you is when you find yourself thinking the phrase, I love Charlotte. I love this city. I love this place. What do you think about? Think about your favorite date night spot, your favorite brewery in Southend, the Whitewater Center, all the fun places you like to go. If you think, I love this city so much, my heart is for this city, and you only think of the really fun, cool places, chances are you don't actually have God's vision that he's inviting you into for the city. But it also takes into account places that are broken and in need and cast aside. And if our posture is using the city, then we won't step into the brokenness looking to bring shalom to Charlotte. Rather, we ask, how can Charlotte give shalom to me? How can I set up my life to get all the best parts of the city and what it has to offer for my flourishing while ignoring the rest? I was with a, a pastor a few weeks ago who church planted and, and spent about 20 years in Albany, New York, and he was talking about this idea of Jeremiah 29 and to working for the shalom, the flourishing of your city. And he said, I think it's helpful to ask when we say we want our city, city to flourish, to then follow that up with the question, for whom? Who do we want our city to flourish for? For all the people that we like and for all the things we like to do, or for the good of everyone. 
So we can, we can hate Charlotte, we can conform to Charlotte, we can use Charlotte, or we can step into the invitation of Jeremiah 29. Look back with me at verse 5. God says to the Israelites, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare, the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In other words, the posture we're invited into is not hate the city, conform to the city or use the city, but rather serve the city, to serve the city, a posture of serving and caring and sacrificing so that God's design, his heart for shalom might make its way out of us more and more into the city of Charlotte, that Charlotte might be a place of flourishing for all people, rich and poor, majority and minority cultures, men and women, the old and the young and the in-between a place where flourishing in the kingdom of God might spread. And so we don't just say, okay, I'm in this place and I'd kind of rather not be here. So I'm just going to kind of build a life adjacent to or buffering against the place. Rather, we say, how can I leverage the place? How can I leverage my life in the place where God has put me for its flourishing? We intertwine our lives and our hearts with this city so that we look and see wherever shalom is not being experienced, that is a problem for us. And we step in. We love and we serve. We say, okay, what are the grieving pain points of our city? And how do we actually be a church that cares long enough and gives it our attention long enough to not be distracted by social media and Netflix and apathy and actually step into care? So we hear about the pain points of our city. Things like the education disparity in Charlotte, right? Where 60% of third graders are below literacy standards. We hear that and we say, that's not just a CMS problem. That's an us problem. We hear about the issue of race relations in our city, the second worst out of the 40 major U.S. cities for trust between races. And we say that's not just an issue for Charlotte, that's an issue for us. We're going to care about that. We hear about 500 plus children in the foster care system just in Mecklenburg County alone, and we say that's not a problem for Mecklenburg County DSS to solve, that's a problem for us to step in and solve. Because, and here's what we have to live with the reality of based on what God tells his people, until our city is a place of shalom for all people, we cannot claim it as a place of shalom for us. You see that? He doesn't say seek the welfare of yourself beside the city or in the midst of the city or avoiding the city. He says seek the welfare of the city for if it flourishes, so will you. So that's the vision. What does that mean? Let me just end with some really practical, I think uh, a sermon like this is easy to be like, rah, rah, care, what do I do? And so let me just give you some really practical steps of what it might mean for us as a church and for you personally to step into this, this idea of living for the good of Charlotte. Let me just give you a few, we'll hit them, we'll hit them really quick. Number one, living for the good of Charlotte, number one is to pray, is to pray. We'll talk about this more in a few weeks in our prayer series when we think about what it means to pray God's kingdom come and the weight and the, the necessity of that type of prayer. But honestly, this is something that has, has stuck out to me a ton over the past few weeks that I've just always kind of missed. I've thought about Jeremiah 29, 7 a lot. I've preached on it before. We've talked about it before. But I've always kind of missed. He says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. And I always just kind of leave it at that. But notice he says, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. So prayer gets this really prominent part of how they're supposed to seek the welfare. Because they know the reality is God can do many more things and many more powerful things and many more big things than the people can do as they step in and serve. And so he says, pray to the Lord on its behalf. If you want to see it flourish, step in. Let me just encourage you, if you are struggling to love the fact that God has put you here, 
feel like there are 10 places off the top of my, my head that I would rather be than here. Let me just encourage you, prayer is such a good first step towards learning to love the place God has put you. When we moved here, we were about uh, four months in or so to being in the city, and it was like August, which August in Charlotte, it just gets tough to want to be here. Uh, anyway, and you know, peak COVID, and I was just like, why are we here? And I was just, just kind of going through it. And um, which is the hard place to be because you cast vision for folks and you're like, Charlotte's awesome. Let's go move and plant a church. And then you're like, I don't know that I want to be here. Um, and one of the things the Lord just kind of brought me under conviction about, about is my lack of prayer for the city. And so one of the things I started doing that I've been consistently doing over the past two and a half years is uh, once or once a week or every other week, I just go to Uptown and park and walk around for an hour and pray. And everybody I pass on the street, which used to be a lot less people, now it's a lot more people again, I just pray for them, and I pray for our city, and I pray for revival, and I pray for God to move amongst marginalized populations, and I just pray for all of these different things as I'm kind of walking with the Lord. And slowly over time, the Lord has actually used that to grow my love and affection for this place, to actually deepen my desire to want to be here and to want to root my life here. And so let me just encourage you, if you're like, I don't know that I want to be here in this city, let me just start praying, see what the Lord might do. Second thing to do is to learn to learn. If you've been through any sort of missionary training, uh, you know that one of the first steps a missionary takes when they get to their new place is not to start sharing the gospel. It's actually to start learning. And they learn specifically two things. They learn the culture and they learn the language. And if all of us are going to take the posture of being ordinary everyday missionaries, if the only difference between us and those overseas who are sharing the gospel move somewhere for that is location, not identity, then I think it's important for us to take the posture of missionaries, which would be the posture of learning, learning the language and learning the culture. What is the heartbeat of our city? What is its ethos? What does it value? What are its fears? What are its dreams? What are its goals? What are its aspirations? Not just of our city as a whole, but also the specific populations you interact with, right? If your neighbor is a banker and you're like, I want nothing to do with bankers, guess what a missionary would do? It would learn the language of banking. If your neighbor is a teacher and you're like, I know nothing about education, a good missionary would learn the language and culture and ethos of teaching, because we're trying to step into our culture going, what does Charlotte care about, desire? What does it need? What are its broken points? What are its idols? What are its fears? And I'm stepping into that as a student, asking good questions, wanting to learn, because I want to see how the gospel can come to bear in this place. So we start asking this simple question, where is the shalom of God not present in our city? It's a really easy question to ask. As you're driving to work, as you're taking the kids to school, as you're going to get coffee, whatever it may be, just ask, where's the shalom of God, the peace of God, the flourishing of God not present in this place? Number three, got a few more, hold them quick. Number three, serve small. Serve small. Once you start studying and praying and looking at the needs around you, it's easy to get overwhelmed. Well, I think one of the hardest things to want to do in serving is that there's a lot you could do. And so we're just like, I don't want to do anything then because that's too much. Let me just free you up. Serve small. Pick one area of need. Ask that question. Where's the shalom of God not present? Pick one of the needs and just start doing something. Uh, this past weekend, my uh, lifelong best friend and his wife were up in the city visiting and, and hanging out. And they, were, they live in uh, Augusta, Georgia. And they were just telling us about one of the things God's kind of stirring in them and one of the things that he's doing. And they um, just have started kind of growing a heart for uh, foster kids in Augusta. And they were like, hey, you know, we really feel like we want to step in here and serve here and help in some sort of fashion. And so they went to their church leadership about it and honestly got like really not a great response. And they were kind of like, no, it's not a priority for us right now. We can't really do something. And instead of being like discouraged, or like, well, I'm not, they just kind of started stepping in. 
They just started serving. They actually got trained to be uh, foster care advocates, people that get uh, paired up with a child in the system to kind of walk alongside of them as they kind of uh, bounce from house to house and home to home. They kind of are a consistent presence in the life of these foster kids and started loving them and serving them. And that kind of grew and they invited some other friends to do it. Now they have a whole little group that all does this together and cares for one another. And that heart continued to grow and they actually just sold their home in the suburbs of North Augusta to move into downtown Augusta, which if you're not familiar, I'm from there, you don't move to downtown Augusta. They moved to downtown Augusta so that they could one day foster kids in Richland County, which is Augusta's county. It was something small, right? Hey, let's go to one two-hour training about how to be a foster care advocate. And a year and a half later, the Lord just slowly started burning them more and more and growing their heart more and more and more. And so just start small. Start with something. They said, hey, we can't do everything. We can't fix this system, but we can step in on behalf of one kid and love one kid and serve one kid. And so if you don't know where to start, if you're like, I don't even know where the one thing is, that's why we have people on staff for this reason. So talk to Dan. He's got the long beard. Um, talk to me, talk to David Shohan, who leads our Dowd partnership. They're always looking for folks to serve as after-school tutors, to serve as volunteers, to help with food distribution, with the food banks, whole types of ways. Um, push into this with your community group. This is one of the things we want to see community groups doing, is serving together, partnering uh, for the long haul with folks in our city. Number four, two more. Number four, point to Jesus. Point to Jesus. You also say this, don't be a savior, point to the savior. You're not descending on high, bringing, oh, I'm here to save you. No, you're just as needy. You're just as broken as the people that you are trying to step out and serve. You might be broken in different ways. You might be able to hide your brokenness a little better, but you're just as broken. And so we don't step in as anyone's savior. We point them to the savior. We don't lose the on mission with him, even in the midst of this part of our mission, right? God steps into the brokenness as he's always done, even through Jesus coming to earth, taking our brokenness upon himself, stepping into our humanity. God has always been doing that. He continues to do that here in Charlotte. And so we just join him in that work and we point people to him. The number five, this one's not for all of you, but we'll see. Number five, put down roots, put down roots. This is my unashamed pastor moment. Some of us, I think, could apply Jeremiah 29 by deciding not to have a foot somewhere else that we'd rather be. And I don't even just mean to put down roots here at Citizens, though you could do that, membership class, March 5th, that'd be great. I just mean in this, this city, I think Charlotte hurts because of its transience. Because I think it's really hard to care about the future of transportation in our city if you're not going to be affected by the roads in six years. I think it's really hard to grow a burden for foster kids if you're just going to move to a new city in three years. I think it's really hard to have a growing, deepening desire to walk with someone over the long haul as they learn job literacy programs and update their resume and step into the career force, et cetera, et cetera, if you have a thought that you might bail in six months. And so let me just encourage you. This is not the, for everybody, right? But this is for some of us. I think some of us, the Lord might use Jeremiah 29 to actually stir in our hearts that maybe we've been thinking ahead of God. We've been thinking, God brought me here, but I'm going to decide the next place. I'm waiting for the next place the Lord's going to take me. So we just encourage you, for some of us, we need to have honest, consistent times with the Lord to just ask God, if you want me here, just tell me. And until you tell me otherwise, that you want to take me somewhere else, I'm just going to live as if you want me here. Because you took me here. When a 
I think I've shared this before, but one of my dear friends um, in ministry has, has shared with me before that uh, his kind of encouragement to folks as they're thinking about um, where to live, whether it be pastors or just, just Christians as a whole, uh, as he says, find what feels like home, find a place you can make a home, get there as fast as you can and do whatever it takes to stay. I think that's just an encouragement for us because our generation loves to move. You, uh, Gen Z will change jobs, more, change jobs more often before they're 30 than our parents did in their entire career. So it's crazy. So let me just encourage you, find somewhere that you can call home and just lock in. And when it gets annoying and boring, just lock in some more. Because here's the deal, you can move to Atlanta and there might be like six more breweries than we have, but eventually you have to choose one brewery to go to. <laughs> right? I mean, Charlotte food scene is bad, but it's fine. But listen to me, here's what we do. We're like, okay, I went to the city, I was here for three years, and my job got boring, and it feels unfulfilling, and so obviously what I need is a change of scenery. Instead of going, hey, there are parts of this city that are irking on me, maybe that's God's invitation to step in and bring shalom. Maybe that's actually God's invitation, that I'm annoyed by something so much that it might become a holy annoyance, a holy frustration, a holy burden, that I would actually go, the answer is not to run from this, but actually to step into this with the Holy Spirit to bring flourishing to my city, whatever that might look like. All right, I could keep going. Let's stop. Uh, let me just close with this. <laughs> Uh, that, that's our vision series. That's seven weeks on who we want to be as a church, a Jesus-centered family on mission with him. If you missed the first six, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I'd love to meet you. Um, but that's what we're going for as a church. We want to be a Jesus-centered family on mission with him. That's what's driving us. That's what we're aiming after. There's nothing else that we're trying to revolve our lives around but that. Christ is king, revolving our lives around each other, moving out into our city as everyday missionaries for its blessing and flourishing. That's what we're going after. And so here's the invitation for you. If you've been around since the beginning, if you've been around since July 2020 in that first monthly worship gathering at Metrolina, if you've been around since then, my encouragement to you is before the Lord to ask, where have I not been believing or living into part of this vision? Have I missed something? Have I decided, okay, I like parts of it, I don't like other parts of it, or just in the busyness and hustle of life, I've just missed part of it invitation for them to pray and to repent and to step in more fully to that area. If you're new, the invitation for you is to step in with us. If you're like, man, this is captivating and it's compelling to me. I see this. I want to be a part of this in all the ways that it's messed up and broken and failing and needing the grace of God, then step in with us. Build some, stick some roots, build a home, settle in to what God might be doing in the midst of us as a people, in the midst of our church. That, that's the invitation is, is this is what we're going for. This is what we feel like God has called us to do. We've been doing it for two years, believe it or not, grace of God. I'd love to do it for decades more. And I'd love to invite you to be in it with us for decades more. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you and we need you, Lord. And we're well aware that when we think about the broken parts of our city, as we think about the places that need shalom, the inequality, the, the brokenness, those who are outcasted and marginalized and cast aside, Lord, I know that it can become so easy to think, man, we're awesome, and we need to bring some awesomeness to those who are less awesome. And yet the gospel tells us that the, le the playing field is level, and that all of us are broken in need of a savior. And so I pray that you would break us of our own sin, break us of our own self-justification, break us of our own trying to be our own savior. Lord, help us to see in a deep way that we can't fully understand our need 
for Christ. What would our need for Christ and our love for him and his stepping into our brokenness compel us into the broken parts of our city, that we would be so moved by seeing these places where shalom is not present, that we would move towards the brokenness, not away from it, that we would set our lives up to, to come alongside and to love and to care and to serve, not to run, not to buffer, not to keep at arm's length, but to step in. But when I pray, as we consider what we feel like you're calling us to as a church as a whole, a Jesus-centered family on mission with him, God, that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, that you would comfort us. God, would you give us patience? Lord, you know my own heart to want to do this fully and perfectly now. And yet you invite me to patience, to the slow work of formation of my own heart. I just pray we would rest in your grace today. Lord, that we would move further towards you and into your presence, not away from you. That your kindness would lead us to conviction. That you would send us out as you desire. I love you. We need you. Probably sings in Christ's name. Amen.